Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And in this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with David G. Ewing to talk all about how to respond to customer outrage. Customers are challenging today. They don't necessarily have that optimism for the future and can sometimes show up as a us versus them or me versus you fight mentality. It's our But today, we brought in David to talk about it. David G. Ewing is a CEO of Motive, a trailblazer in customer experience innovation. With over 25 years in the industry, he has transformed insights into substantial revenue for 500 plus clients. A Harvard cum laude engineering graduate, David's leadership has earned Motive a spot on the Inc. 5000 list. And as president of the Entrepreneurs Association in Austin, he's dedicated to empowering fellow entrepreneurs. Beyond business, David's a devoted husband of 19 years and a passionate coach for his son's robotics team. I hope you enjoy our conversation on how to respond to customer outrage. David, welcome to the Leadership Habit. You're talking all about customer service, and I feel like that is a tough field to be in right now. People are not as easy or happy as they once were, but I'm glad that you're here on the Leadership Habit Podcast to talk about this customer outrage, how to respond to it, how to prepare our people. So welcome to the show, David. How are you doing today? I am doing well, Jen. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, if customer service was easy, then everyone would do it. So I'm, uh, I'm glad to be in a space where I can make a difference. Yes. Well, our audience heard a little bit more about you. And of course, today's conversation is going to talk about how to respond to this customer outrage that many of us have been seeing. But before we dive into it today, uh, could you go ahead and just introduce yourself to our audience a little bit more about what you do and who you are? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. So um, for the past 25 years, I have been working with a whole host of Fortune 500 and high growth startups um, to work on the idea of customer experience. So uh, I, I always like to go back to that, that Seinfeld episode. There's a great Seinfeld where Seinfeld shows up at a car rental place and he rented a car there, but they don't have a car for him. And he always points out, he said, you guys took the reservation. You just didn't keep the reservation, right? And um, and so I think that's the same thing in business, right? We can all go win a customer, but can you keep the customer? And that's really like a, a big part of where customer experience comes into play. So for the past 20 years, I have done nothing but study customer lifetime value, how to acquire customers in a way that's going to tip you up for success so that you can keep them and then hold on to those customers so that you can maximize customer lifetime value, providing them satisfaction and getting all those multiplicative effects of having a customer that refers you and becomes your advocate and becomes, you know, kind of like one of those acolytes that just loves your company and says, you know, you, if you're crazy, if you don't do business with these guys, you know, oh, wouldn't we all want that? And it's so easy to change now. Like, how do you even build customer loyalty when it feels like if I don't like you, I can very quick search for one other person. So maybe that sets us up for our, our first kind of conversational point. Tell me the problem that we see today with customer service. What makes, you know, even approaching customer experience, customer service hard today? You've been doing this for over 20 years. 
I'm sure that you've likely, or maybe not, have seen a bigger disruption as to where we are today than maybe what you've seen before. But what do you think is the challenge with customer service today? The challenge with customer service today is I think everyone just has tried to reduce this down to something that's not emotional, and it's absolutely emotional. Customer service is all about emotions. And let me give you a great example, because I do this all the time when I meet with people and we're trying to help them shape their customer experience. I say to them, hey, why don't you tell me about the time that you thought you had a great experience, right? Let's get in that mindset. Let's think about those wonderful moments. Let's We can all come up with the 8 million times our flight was delayed or the thing didn't show up on time or whatever. What about the magic? Where's that? And I, I will tell you one, and I will try to not cry as I tell you this one, because it's so incredible. A woman raised her hand about a month ago, and she did cry, by the way, and, uh, and I almost did too. Uh, but she said, um, you know, I, uh, I, I use Chewy.com for my, my dog food. And, uh, and my, my dog passed away. And so I stopped the order. And without having to tell them why or whatever, Chewy just realized what was going on and sent me a bouquet of flowers and said, we're really sorry about your loss. I mean, how, how, do, you come, how do you not go to that company for the rest of your life? I mean, I, I will just shamelessly say I started buying Chewy that day. And I mean, that emotional tie is magic, right? That was one thing of flowers. I'm sure if you do the math on, on, on what it's like to keep that customer for forever and ever, it's 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 a no-brainer from a, a dollars and cents perspective, but it's emotional, right? You have to connect with people. And when you connect with people through the magic of their emotions and understanding who they are and what they're going through, then you have them for life. And everyone's going to screw up, right? I screw up. My business screws up. We, we're all human. We all make mistakes. Our businesses aren't perfect. But it's about that emotional connection with the customer. And when you can snap that together, then you have clients for life. You have customers for life. They believe in you. They stick by you. They forgive you. And you move forward and you create a, a relationship that's both profitable and rewarding. So, Oh, my gosh. And I, I go, totally agree with you. We forget the emotions of doing business, of how I want to feel, even the peace of mind that I want by being able to rely or trust on your organization. But that story by Chewy hits home to me as a dog owner. Of course, I naturally think, why am I not buying my dog food from Chewy, even though I exactly. know a lot of people are. But that's I can see that all the time. We're just widgets now. It feels like there's an AI chatbot that's just going to talk to us. It's hard to talk to a human. Are there humans even working customer experience anymore? That's how I can feel. <laughs> but you know what's really interesting? Go back to that Chewy example. That was a data-driven algorithm that did that. That's not a human being that's over there who's like, hey, I noticed that Jen stopped buying things. I wonder if she's okay. That's not what happened, right? Like they looked at the data and the data showed them what happened and they put in an automated service. So it was actually automated, right? But it was, it doesn't take away from the intention of what happened because they thought about that. There is a human being over there who thought, let's do this thing and then let's systematize it. And there's nothing wrong with systematizing customer service but that's what really I think we get to at Motive a lot is we look at what are called the moments that matter. And in every customer's journey that they're going to have with your company, there are going to be the high highs and there are going to be the low lows, right? And so customer service is all about trying to understand and detect when those moments are going to occur and then making sure that you shape the attitude at that point. Like, let me, let me give you an easier example that, um, 
that came up to me the other day. So we've all been on an airplane and we've all had our flight get delayed. You know, that just is part of life. It's super frustrating. It creates all this drama and tension. Of, oh, I won't make my connecting flight or the thing I'm doing at the other end of this journey will get interrupted. All of that stuff is there, but but it's all about the attitude. And look, I happened to be sitting at one point and I noticed the guy across me was one of my favorite authors of all time. And he was just sitting across from me waiting to get on the same darn flight I was. And all of a sudden the flight got delayed. And guess who's the happiest guy in the place? <laughs> you know, I am because I get to hang out with this guy and just start up a conversation to get things going. So, you know, it's the attitude. It's not always the event that matters. It's the attitude around it. Now, unfortunately for the airlines, they can't, you know, make sure that my favorite author is sitting in uh, every single waiting area for, for you. But everybody can do something with attitude at the moment that matters. And so when the when the mess up does occur, which it will, you're not losing the client. You're just losing a little face and then you can you can earn it back. Right. And it's attitude that that really is the game changer there. Change the attitude and you change the customer experience. Can you change the attitude? I, You know, and, and I'm not, you know, I did a webinar a few months back for Crestcom. And, you know, we we read and researched a ton to prepare for delivering this. And one of the articles that I stumbled upon was one that was written by Harvard Business Review talking about the age of outrage, that customers are angrier. They have a very, I would say, negative view for the future. It's a us versus them mentality. And I see it. I hear it. I hear it from how my my friends or my clients are treated at work if they're in customer supporting or customer facing roles. Heck, you can watch it on the street. People are not sensitive or patient. I even saw it at you know, a store when I was making a return a few months back, people have zero patience today. How the heck do you get your employees ready to support this tenseness that's in the environment? Because that's a problem that I read a lot about that we're not as patient as we once were. I'm not sure. Are you seeing that in your line of work that people basically have, they don't give a lot of give anymore. So Jen, you're absolutely right. And all I would say is with crisis comes opportunity. And uh, and that's really the way I look at it. Because he, here's the thing. You have, and I'm just going to pick on private equity for a minute, uh, just because they're easy to demonize. But, you know, let's say a private equity firm comes along and buys some mom and pop shop somewhere, right? Well, the first thing they're going to do is raise prices and cut costs. Simple, right? I mean, they're investors. That's, that's what they're to do. They don't have the emotional tie that that founder had to that business. And so raising prices and cutting costs are the two things they're going to look at. And where are they going to cut costs? Customer service. Everybody does, right? And so customer service comes down, which means for all the rest of us, there's now an opening because everyone's mad about that. In fact, I was talking to an entrepreneur the other day. He said, you know what? I try to not do business with companies that have been acquired by private equity because you just know you're going to pay more and get less. And uh, I don't know, it seems, seems like a, a fair statement, but, but they're not the only ones, right? It, it can happen anywhere. However, here's the thing that I would say to everyone who's building your own business. That is the great opportunity. That is the magic opening that you need because differentiating yourself on service produces customers that stick with you for life because everyone is in this outrage moment. But here's the beautiful thing about the outrage moment is that it is a uh, the, what's called the passion paradox, right? Because the love and hatred of, uh, of a situation is really just, it's just at one end of what I would consider extreme emotion as opposed to the other end, which is apathy. There's so many things in life that we're apathetic about, but when you go find people who are outraged about something, what you find is that they really care. And every time you've got somebody in a situation where they really care, you've got an opportunity to swing that outrage into absolute adoration. 
And uh, I'll give you a quick example. Um, yeah, I think everyone here at some point has, has damaged their, their body in some way and, and been in an MRI machine. And MRI machines are not a great experience, right? If you go into it, it's, yeah. it's this claustrophobic tube, right? And they shove you in this like flat tray into the, in there. And then the thing is just banging around like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, one of the places where I saw this work, uh, where they turned this around was um, at, a, at a, a children's hospital. So they had to have children go into one of these machines. Now you can imagine as bad as it is for us as adults to, to suck it up and go into an MRI machine. You take a little kid and shove that kid in there. And now the parents are furious. And what are you doing? The kid's crying. They got to bring in the anesthesiologist and knock the kid out just so they can hold them still to get the thing done. Or they strap them. I mean, it just gets horrible, right? So how do you turn that horrible negative situation around? Well, what this hospital did was um, they took maybe $5,000 of vinyl wall stickers and turned the whole place into a campground. And they were talking about the MRI machine and they made it look like a big tent because kids love tents, right? They always, they're always playing in boxes and tents and everything. So now the whole thing was, you're going to go in there and you're going to listen to the sounds of the healthy forest. Right. And so it was, you know, it was still the same knocking around, but now the kids were thinking, imagining that it was, you know, you know, goofy, you know, characters and knocking around and they changed the whole thing. So now the kid is kind of excited to go into the tent right? And not uh, terrified to go into the MRI machine. Same experience, different attitude, and it's the attitude that matters. And I think that it's possible with enough creativity and enough imagination and not that much money to go ahead and turn attitudes around. You just have to understand your customer. And when you do that, that's the key. Oh my gosh. Well, I, as someone that gets MRIs every year, I can tell you <laughs> this year, my neurologist switched my facility and I could not have been more elated because the new facility included music. And so I kid you not every other MRI machine. Yes. I have a friend that can sleep through it. I do not know how, but this time when I went back in this August with the Fleetwood Mac radio playing, I actually walked out of there telling them I actually felt like I just went to a spa because it was so <laughs> well, you're right, I could just get into the music instead of just sitting there for an hour and a half. And yeah, it is. It's that attitude. Like I walked out of there completely. I walked out of there refreshed, which I guess was something that was available to me every single time. But I needed the music for it. Yeah. And the music <laughs> changed your attitude and the attitude made something that was a horrible experience turn to positive. I mean, one other example that happened just the other day, last weekend, I was in Detroit. And, and for people who haven't been to Detroit recently, let me tell you something, whatever your preconceptions of Detroit are, it, that ship has sailed. Like you can't buy a nice house in Detroit now for less than like 750 grand. I mean, the city's unbelievable. It's rocking, right? Um, I was blown away by how incredible Detroit was. But what was really surprising to me was uh, I was at this event and there's a, a parking garage, a parking garage next door. And people were leaving this party with food and and, you know, drinks and free drinks and uh, and all sorts of fun games and lots of excited people. People were leaving and going into the parking garage. And I'm like, what nefarious thing are they doing in the parking garage? Well, it turns out this parking garage, it's called the Z Garage in, in, in Detroit. They hired 19 artists from around the world to come in and make these beautiful, you know, murals and spray paint and all these other different kinds of uh, decorations, one on each level of the garage. And it's just an amazing thing to get in the elevator and walk through the parking garage and see the incredible artwork that's in there. And it's it's amazing. It's the coolest thing. And so you've got the beautiful views of the city out the side of the parking garage, plus this incredible, you know, very interesting multicultural 
you know, artwork all through the garage and people are, are just enjoying a parking garage, right? So it is possible to change the attitudes. If you could change a parking garage and an MRI machine, I don't know what your listeners are, are doing, but I guarantee you can make it better with music and art and, you know, other things and just some sensitivity. And, uh, and when you do that, the rage gets flipped around into love. And when you've got the love, you've got the customer and lifetime value. And that's the win. Yeah. And I love them. Hi, everyone. It's Jen. And I'm just coming to you because we need your help. Presscom International, the organization that hosts the Leadership Habit podcast that I proudly work for, is looking to expand their network of people that are committed to creating more ethical, engaging, and human leaders. Now, how is that relevant to you? Well, we're looking for referrals. Do you know someone that is interested in giving back and being an entrepreneur and owning their own business, or that wants to make a difference and is passionate about leadership development? Well, I'm excited to share with you that Crescom has just launched a referral program. If you know someone, maybe it's a past mentor or a boss that's interested in making a career change and wanting to leverage the knowledge and their experience in the classroom, send them our way. We have this new program and here's the scoop. We've designed an easy to use referral form available on crestcom.com forward slash referrals. And you can visit the site, submit your referrals and access all of the rules along with required terms and conditions. Here's the sweet spot of this. If you refer a successful candidate, we'll give you $2,500. Now we want to expand and make our mission even greater, but we can't do that without your help. So if you know someone that would be interested in becoming a franchisee for an amazing leadership development organization that wants to get into the classroom and make a difference, head on over to crestcom.com forward slash referrals today and help us impact your workplaces and the leaders that you work with. Here's the only caveat. Please note that this program is currently open to applicants based in the United States only. Let's talk a little bit more about the lifetime customer value, like why it needs to matter, how organizations or individuals, even your financials can benefit. Because of course, right now it's challenging. Organizations are kind of missing the opportunity to play with the emotions and attitudes of where people are. But why do they, maybe I'll start with this first question. Why do they need to care? Why, if they, if they have, you know, I knew that they might've cut costs, they might've focused on different initiatives. Why do they need to care today? Sure, sure. So. Um, if you're building a business, you're building a business for for one of two reasons, right? You're either building a business so that it can support your, your financial freedom and be what it's called a lifestyle company, right? That's one big avenue that people do, and they just want a business that's continuously profitable to help them. The other reason why people build businesses is because they intend to either take them public or sell them, right? Now, I don't care which of those avenues you're thinking about for your business, but I'll use the, I'm going to sell my business as, a, as an example, the very first question you're going to get is they're going to say, tell me about your customers. Tell me about your recurring revenue. There's a great book by a guy named Zane Terrence, who I had uh, dinner with the other week. And uh, Zane's first chapter in his book, 17 Reasons Why Your Company is Not Investor Grade and What to Do About It is all about your recurring revenue. And there's definitely like there's a million different business models under the sun for all the different services we all provide and products. But at the end of the day, you have to demonstrate that either customers are signing up for some kind of subscription. Therefore, it's a guaranteed you know, recurring revenue stream. Or the other thing is reoccurring revenue, which is people come to me and they buy today and I know they're going to buy in another two months and they're going to buy two months after that. And, and I can show the predictability of customers coming back. Either way, what investors want to see is that you are building a business where the customers and the revenue streams from those customers is reliable, 
and consistent. And guess what matters most to that? After you've solved all your business model questions and you've acquired the customer, if you don't have great customer experience, if you don't have satisfaction, you don't have recurring revenue. That means that your customers who are on subscription are going to churn off at the end of the contract. It gets back to that Seinfeld thing. You can, you can get the customer, but can you hold the customer? And if you want a business that's valuable, you've got to hold that customer. And that is what really matters. So customer experience is all about making sure that when that moment of choice comes up for that customer and it's time to choose, do I re-up with you or do I walk down the street and go with the other guy? Uh, I'm re-upping with you. And that drives all the value. And so if you're selling the company, you got to prove that. Now, if you want to just keep the company forever, guess what? Unless you want to work every single day to try and do the same thing you did yesterday, which is acquire a customer, replace the one you just lost, that you got to do that too. So however you want to run your business, whatever kind of outcome you want uh, in life, you better be able to show that recurring revenue. And for that, you need customer experience. Yeah. Well, and I feel like if you invest in that customer experience, you actually create the right systems that they need. You set the expectations, you empower your employees. You know, the inside impact outside of the bottom line is still Gosh, I'll likely feel happier because I feel capable because I can actually serve our customers. Whereas a team, we're less stressed because we feel like we're not solving the same problem over and over that our customers are upset about, which then, of course, creates that bottom line expectation. So how do you do it? Because the, the age or it's, you know, the customer is still feisty right now. We know that you need that lifetime customer value to be sustainable, but how do you actually respond to the customer outrage? Yeah. So this gets down to uh, to two things, one strategic and one that's tactical. Okay. The strategic thing is, can you avoid getting in that position to begin with? Right. And so to do that, you know, you do have to take a critical look at your business and you got to do good old fashioned root cause analysis of your incidents, right? So if you don't have a good incident tracking system, to try and track when customers have gone off the rails or there's been a problem. That's the first thing that you have to do, right? You've got to be able to do that. And then you, when you have that data, then actually it's not that hard to get the right people in the room that matter and start asking the question why, right? And this is the classic five whys of, hey, you know, we had a problem with this customer. They were really upset. Why do we have that problem? Well, because, you know, maybe we didn't deliver on time. Why didn't we deliver on time? Well, because you know, we had an exception at that. Why do we have an exception? You just keep going and you just find you, until you can get to the root cause and you can fix the problem. So strategically fix the root cause of the problems is one of the, the best ways to, to make sure that you clear it forever and you get rid of the, of the problem. And for that, you need those tools. So there's your strategy, right? However, we all are realists here. And no matter how strategic you are about stomping out problems, you, unless you're not going fast enough, you're going to have new ones, right? You're going to be innovating. You're going to be creating new things, new offerings, new services. And sooner or later, you're going to disappoint customers. So what do you do at the moment of disappointing customers? And that is where you really have to make sure that you've got a playbook for your team, right? The team has to have the understanding of what they need to do. And I'll give you uh, one that we actually uh, inspired us at Motive once is we were, watch we were at a dim sum restaurant and we were watching the dim sum carts go around, right? So at a dim sum restaurant, you know, they just come around with carts and you decide you just pick and choose which ones you want. Well, what we noticed is that, you know, occasionally people were dissatisfied with either their service or what happened or the water, or whatever the problem was. And each dim sum cart operator had a little coin box where they could essentially give you free stuff by taking, you know, taking it, giving you the food and then moving one of their coins from one coin box to the other so that they had like a little budget for 
the amount of free food they could give just to smooth over kind of any problems with delivery. Great, simple little system. It's just a dim sum budget. So we talked about that at Motive. When our services are not going right, we've made a mistake or we've you know done something, we give our consulting team the ability to say, you know what, we didn't, we didn't do that right. We're very, very sorry. And let's fix it. So we're going to fix it and we're going to do something else for you. And so they have their dim sum budget and they just go ahead and they have the authority to do that. That way I know that the amount of that cost is contained and controlled, but I don't have, they don't have to go ask me for permission or any of our executives on our team. Our consultants can just go out and just do that and make sure that they use their dim sum budget correctly. And for Motive, that works. Every company is going to be a little bit different in terms of how they do that, but discretionary resources at the point of, of contact with the customer is one of the most essential things that you need to do in order to shape that attitude. Because at the end of the day, despite all the outrage culture, everybody knows that people make mistakes, right? And everybody just wants to hear two things. One, we're sorry. And two, we'll fix it. And then as a bonus, maybe a third thing, which is, and here's a little extra. If you do those three things, you know, you've got a team that now knows exactly what to do. So, so the thing is, is what I have found is that the stress that we place our employees under is always because of the skills and abilities that they have relative to the challenge that they're facing. When we make sure that people have the skills and abilities to meet the challenge, it doesn't matter how crazy the challenge is. They have the skills and ability. They know they can make it. They're very, very calm. And so the customer could be outraged and, you know, foaming at the mouth and they have the skills to know, I, I know what to do. I'm going to listen to all of these things. I'm going to acknowledge the problem. I'm going to you know, have the capabilities to fix it. And then I'm going to do a little bit more and I'm going to turn this upset customer into a delighted one. You do that simple process in whatever way works for your business. And, and, and now your employees are not stressed because yes, they're still dealing with the same thing, but it goes back to the what we talked about earlier. It's attitude. Your employees have an attitude also. And I'll tell you that they're incredibly stressed when the attitude that they have inside their head is, oh my God, I'm getting this customer is furious with me and I can't do anything about it. Right. That is like one of the worst places to put employees. You want to burn somebody out. Go ahead and put them in that situation and watch the turnover just spiral through the roof. But give them the tools and watch that happen into turn into confidence. And the more that they can get that, that problem fixed, the more validated they become, the better they feel about their profession. And so it's not really about the outrage of the customer. It's about the capacity to handle. Yeah, that that was a lot. Uh, that was a lot there. Like, because there's a few things I would want to comment on. One, I love the the dim sum budget of just thinking how can you empower and give your your team the resources, means, and autonomy to be able to alleviate a concern. But I want to ask a question about. I have two questions. One is it relates to you know what problem you actually solve because you can do the root cause analysis and then find. I've got a lot of problems. And, you know, at Crestcom, we categorize our problems based on are they, you know, new emerging or crisis or a mature or crisis. So I have a question around that. How do you, what advice do you give? So if I do the root cause analysis, when you work with your clients, what is the guidance that you give them in terms of choosing what problem to solve first? Great question. And, um, you know, if you've got a good system for incident management and tracking, then I think the, the, there's two dimensions that you look at. One is the uh, frequency of problem, right? So how often does something happen? So if I have a thousand incidents of a certain flavor versus 10 of another flavor, I'm, I'm going to look at the, the thing that's causing the thousand incidents. But that, that's not the only dimension, right? The other dimension is magnitude of problem, right? So something that is so 
critical and to your point, criticality that it's it's causing customers to leave. Um, that I'm going to attack before I'm going to attack something that's cosmetic and minor, right? So, so I look at those two dimensions and, and not no more than those two dimensions and just look at try to estimate criticality and volume and then pick that problem first. Uh, I think that when you have the team together, one of the people that is often left out of the discussion is usually the finance team. So, you know, bring customer service, bring sales, bring marketing to those root cause analysis meetings, but bring finance too, because at the end of the day, you are engineering an experience for your customer. You are engineering a business model that is going to be sustainable and build value for you. So you do have to do the math to say, how much budget do we really have to solve this problem for customers so that we can attack the root cause of the problem and to our dim sum budget and our tactics and all the things that we're going to do to um, to paper it over until we can get the root cause fixed and not have this occur at all. Uh, we got to understand how that's going to affect the business. And you know, you, you obviously you you can't give every customer everything under the sun, but that's where the trade offs really become interesting and the challenge gets kind of exciting, right? Because not every problem requires money to solve. Yeah. You know, sometimes uh, like a, a simple bouquet of flowers uh, is is all you need to encourage someone to stay with you for life. Um, Sometimes it's just music at the MRI machine. It doesn't cost anything, you know? So, so the thing is, is that it, just knowing that there's a lot of different option, open options and that you're really just trying to create this attitude is really the fundamentals key once you've, once you've prioritized what problem to go solve. No, I love that. And thank you for answering that because it is about making sure that you actually have the means to be able to solve it and remembering that financials are not the only way to solve a challenge. So my other question, this one is probably a personal grievance, and it's more so because I've had clients that have worked with really high profile brands or clients or customers, for example, that have a lot of pull. And I think that this creates a little bit of this power play that allows that dominant client or customer to feel that they can be incredibly rude. Or disrespectful. And I'm talking about, I have a client who works for a large firm. Their number one client is awful. No one in the organization wants to work with them. And as a matter of fact, the organization itself loses people because no one wants to work with that because they're nasty, they're mean, and people say, I'm done. I'm going to leave this if I still have to work with that customer. At what point do you step in and say, I'm so happy that you're a big part of my business, but you're actually killing my resources because of how I, not necessarily unethical, but rude, disrespectful, inappropriate, right? Not business acumen. What's your take on that? Like, when can you actually fire a customer or how do you stand up to customers that are berating and causing turnover in your organization? That's a great question. It is an absolute gut check moment for the leadership team. And I can tell you that more than once we have sat around our, our table and we have uttered this one line that comes from Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, and that is take care of your people, take care of your customers, and take care of your profits in that order. That is the North Star at Motive. Take care of your people, take care of your customers, take care of your profits in that order. And that does mean that in, you know, your people come first. And I had the exact same thing happen to me uh, going into the pandemic. I had uh, we were nervous. The pandemic was going on. We had a huge anchor customer. And that anchor customer, uh, really, the stress of it, everything really got to them. We couldn't get up there and meet face to face because we were locked down and travel. And the worse they got, um, 
you know, the, 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 it just started to become a negative cycle. And what happened was, I will admit, I made a mistake. I, um, I did not fire the customer. Instead, what happened was three of my most talented people walked out the door because they I had that problem. And when I go back and I look at what it takes to train up a consultant to work with us and to do all the things that we do, you know, that cost is extraordinary. And okay. when I compare that cost and the cost of replacing those wonderful people with the profits that I got from that customer, I mean, it, it's, it, was a, it was a giant mistake on my part. And so it's hard to see that in advance. I, it's the only saving grace I gave to myself is that, you know, you don't know how bad it's going to be until sometimes you're in there. But, but, you know, the quicker you can react to realize that you have that situation, you know, just do the math. And, uh, and sooner or later, the idea that you, if you take care of your people, your, your clients and your profits in that order, um, all three get taken care of if you, if you prioritize that way. And I've, uh, I've had to learn that lesson the hard way. No. And I'm glad that you learned it because it, to lose three of your top talents, three assets, that is revenue impacting either on the time that it takes to onboard someone else, the sales or the experience that's lost there. That is a lot. And it can sometimes likely be, you know, we can think, oh, no, it'll be fine. They'll do it. But going back to how we started this, it's all emotions. And if I feel like I'm just being berated every single day by a customer that is our number one customer because they have that the means, well, then I, you know, we have to pay attention to that because also they're likely not going to be, I would guess in the essence of emotions, if someone is constantly like that to me, I will eventually quiet quit on that customer anyways and be like, you know what? I'm not going above and beyond because you are so rude and disrespectful that I'm not doing this. And so ultimately, if you don't address it, it's not, it's only going to get worse in so many different dimensions. Yeah. Well, and Dave, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say one final comment on that is that, you know, with those top customers, um, you know, I think that the, uh, the burden of those kinds of problems falls to the leadership team. And, um, you know, it was on me to fix that problem. And in that case, I didn't, I didn't realize it in time. I didn't get it done. I didn't fix it. But yeah, you can't expect your people to solve that problem for you. The, those top customers, if you, that, that resolution happens at the top or it doesn't happen at all. Yeah. And to those organizations, please invest in soft skills development. Please do it. That there are way more efficient and effective ways to get what you want that come at treating someone like a human. David, I have enjoyed our conversation. What would be any final tips or considerations that you would want to leave our audience with? Yeah, Jen, great question. I would say um, self-forgiveness is probably the number one thing because, um, you know, you look, we're all trying to innovate. We're all trying to come up with something amazing. And the more you kind of extend, the more you have to learn that, uh, that you can get out over your skis and you can, you can fall on your face. And when that happens, you have two choices, right? Like you, you can just, you can just crawl up and die and say, well, we're not going to take any more risks. We're not going to take any more challenges. And I think that's both not fun as well as, um, you know, you're doing your business a disservice over the long run, but just know that if you're pushing the envelope, um, you're going to have those problems. And it's not so much that you, you know, trying to avoid those problems. It's making sure you've got a way to recover. And if you do that, I think that, you know, you can go out and you can fail a thousand times and no one will remember because it will be the one time you great. Yes. Think of your if-then plans. What if things don't work out? How are you going to pivot? I love that because I saw in human behavior, we don't think about the obstacles because they're not fun. And I think we do the same in business. It's not enjoyable to talk about how it might not work. And so, but I love that plan for them. So then you can adapt. David, how can our audience get in touch with you? 
Uh, you know, I love LinkedIn. So the best way to get me is linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash David G. Ewing. Uh, easiest way to find me and uh, happy to chat with anybody. Perfect. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on The Leadership Habit, for giving us a little bit more of a perspective in how we can approach the, the angry customer in today. It's been a great conversation, and I just want to say thank you for giving us your time and your expertise. Thanks, Jen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Leadership Habit Podcast. I love my conversation with David G. Ewing. His energy around customer service is contagious. And I also really love the dim sum approach, how we can give people a little bit more flexibility to better serve our customers. If you want to find out more about David, of course, he shared his LinkedIn, but you can also head on over to MotiveCX.com. And if we at Crestcom can give you the tools that you need for your soft skills, for the challenges that you're facing in today's workplace, we would love to help develop your leaders. Head on over to Crestcom.com. There you can request a complimentary leadership skills workshop for you and your team to try it on for size and learn something new and have some fun together. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.